Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly. A bit later, longtime NFL writer and analyst Doug Farrar joins me to discuss his new book, The Genius of Desperation. Doug also gives us a pretty detailed scouting report on Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. But first, with preseason in the rear view, Matt Money-Smith and I look ahead to the Chargers' 2018 regular season. All right, here with the voice of the Chargers, Matt Money-Smith. As we turn the page on preseason, get ready to Chiefs week. Money, you ready for a for a fifth preseason game, or you want to just get to week one? Week one, uh, uh, you know, especially the preseason week four, is such so different. I mean, it's I remember doing it with Nick last year and getting on the bus, leaving the game, and him saying, "Well, oh, that was a good radio show." I mean, and that's what it becomes because there's so by the time the you know third and fourth quarter come around, it's just a lot of players that to some degree the Chargers are helping out. To showcase, sure. they know they're not going to bring him back for other teams, you know, and, and the hope that these guys that have been with you for four or five weeks can can find a job in the NFL. And it's interesting for us, but you try to make it as compelling for the radio listener, which isn't always easy. So a lot of times you end up talking about, like you said, that that first week against the Chiefs, you know, come September 9th. Well, this last month, what did you learn about this team that maybe you didn't know? Because I think a lot has happened over the last month. We've seen guys like Mike Williams emerge. Uh, what stood out to you at the Jack Hammond Sports Complex and in the games? I think that those three rookies are going to play, and they're going to play a lot. And Defensive rookies. Yes, Kaiser White, Chenna Nwosu, and Derwin James. And they are going to have an impact. Um, I don't know how much they're going to play, but it's clear watching Nwosu rush the passer, watch Kaiser White thump guys in that linebacker spot. He can move, too. He can, he's fast. I mean, that Arizona game, he was the best player on the field uh, defensively. And, you know, vet or, you know, when you think about what he was able to do in special teams, I mean, he was great. Uh, and obviously, we know Darwin James getting that pick of, of Breeze in the game and during practice and the impact he's going to have. I think of all the things, you know, even Mike Williams included, just because you kind of knew – you know, if you think back to his time at Clemson, that Mike can do that. I think it wasn't clear whether or not these three guys could have an impact this year, and I think they can. When you consider the defensive line, potential issues the first four weeks without Corey Legit stopping the run, I think those linebackers, Derwin especially too, coming up in the box, he's going to be able to help stop the run, and you're going to need to do that against Kareem Hunt and company. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and without Legit, it would have been nice to see Justin Jones out there, and I don't quite know what his status is because when he was in there he was great I mean yeah. he, again just kind of speak to the he's four defensive season exactly so be great to find out whether or not he's going to be good to go or if there's maybe another player out there that they end up bringing in um, to fill that void because certainly with what they were working with in Legit's absence I think they're they're there, it is definitely probably a spot of need right now, um, especially because Phylon was dealing with you know some nicks as well. Yeah. So I, it's clear that that's probably that soft spot that they're they're going to have to, like you said, either deal with it by having linebackers step up and safety step up to play, um, or maybe find somebody else to to fill that void for four games. Offensively. I think we just hadn't seen Mike Williams play in a while. That's why I think everyone's their, sure. their heads were turning a little bit because he looked like that All-American from Clemson. Yeah, and you know, it's haven't been here last year, and when he played for that small window, even though he didn't really perf- dominate, I should say. I mean, he, he had a nice first down grab um, in a couple games, impactful games that they ended up winning to keep their season alive. Uh, big third down grab. I want to say it was against the Raiders, if I remember yep, right. So he had moments. So I had already kind of seen him, you know. Well, I mean, look, if, if I'm pulling up to a stadium and I want to intimidate, you know, the team, there's 
four guys that I'm having walk off that bus first. Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, and Mike Williams because they're just such physical freaks for their position. And Mike is that. When you see him in pads... You know, and Keenan's a big guy. I mean, by no stretch he is. is he a small so player. So is Tyrell. Exactly. I mean, Tyrell's a legit 6'4". When they're walking next to Mike Williams, he still stands out. I mean, that's just how big, how long, how tall, how thick he is. So now that he's healthy, I guess I'm just not surprised. Um, sure. He's still got to do it, you know, against NFL starting caliber cornerbacks. Um, and against Kansas City, it'll be awfully nice that it's not Marcus Peters, you know, who's been a bit of a nemesis for Phillip throughout his career. So, um, you know, let's see it in a game. And I think Coach is preaching that as well. You know, yeah. been been a, trying to temper everyone's excitement about Mike Williams until we actually see it in a regular season game. Yeah, we saw it with Phillip and Mike in training camp, but that, that touchdown he had was with Geno, right. too. You know, so I think it's going to take some time to, to continue to build that rapport and money, the, the offense is going to look a little bit different. I mean, this was the number one passing attack in football last year, but you had Hunter Henry in there. You got to find ways to replace his production. I think Mike Williams certainly is going I think to. That comes into play, yeah. Yeah, that comes into play. And then I tell you, a guy like Austin Eckler, I think he is markedly improved just from last year. I think he looks more explosive. And we saw it that first drive. He touched the ball seven of the first eight times. Yeah, 50, I think it was 54 of 59 total yards yeah, in a on drive. that drive that uh, resulted in, a, unfortunately, a, a turnover on downs at the goal line on that fourth and five. But yeah, he's explosive through the hole. He's great in open space. He catches the ball effectively. And ultimately, you know, what What dogged Melvin Gordon last year? What do we keep saying? Well, the final four weeks were his best weeks. He was healthy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think he just maybe has the type of body and is the type of player that you need those 15, 20 touches to go somewhere else. And I think that's going to be Eckler. And with what we're seeing, you know, with this third back and, and Newsom, if he's able to do that, I mean, he is a load. He uh, is. I mean, when you talk it's about, you know, however many touches you want to give to, to Melvin per game in that, you know, 20 to 25 range, you now get that 10 to 13 maybe for Eckler. And now you bring in six to nine for Newsom. I mean, that's three tough to deal with running backs and I think that speaks to what you're saying about the passing attack the number one passing I don't think they want the number one passing attack in the NFL no, you they know be more balanced they want to make sure that running attack that rush attack isn't 31st you know that that can get into that 15 range and you know also the big part of that is those three players on the interior of the line. The fact you signed Mike Pouncey and you've seen him in the preseason getting out in space and crushing guys, which Spencer Pulley just couldn't do, not in his wheelhouse um, or in his toolbox. And and then you bring Forrest Lampback, who we're going to see tonight against the 49ers. Um, That's... That's a big difference from what they had last year on the interior there. Yeah, you saw that. I want to say maybe it was the the second preseason game where Melvin had like that 14-yard rush up the middle. Mike Pouncey just getting out there, getting to that second level very quickly. It's something that we weren't accustomed to seeing last year, to your point. And I think overall, that offensive line with Dan Feeney, another year under his belt. He had nine starts last year. You you get Forrest Lamp into the mix. And then having that positional versatility with a guy like Schofield. You know, this was a guy that around this time last year, he wasn't on the Chargers roster. You, know, you pick him up late. Uh, I, I think they have a lot of pieces on that line to, uh, to, to make that rushing attack much better in 2018. Yeah, and also remember, you know, the two tight ends last year, yeah, you lose Hunter Henry, and Hunter was a capable blocker. Virgil Green's an exceptional blocking He's tight exceptional. end. So now, you know, you're adding Virgil to the end of that line, you know, probably, you know, I, I think more often than not, maybe on the Joe Barksdale side when you're running the ball, mm-hmm. 
and you've got the best blocking tight end that you've had, you know, compared to last year, clearly. So oh, yeah. that's only going to help the run game as well. But, you know, you're right. Look, it's not all, you know, confetti and, and unicorns. I mean, losing Hunter Henry is huge. And I think a lot of that is going to come on Virgil Green to fill those Antonio Gate routes, Gates routes, those, you know, five yard curls, squat, use your body yeah. to shield your defender, or those 10 yard, you know, red zone runs. And whether or not Philip trusts him to do it, you know, we'll see. We only saw just a sliver of it in the preseason. Yeah, and Philip mentioned that. I, I think there was a specific practice where he said he threw a pick. Him and Keenan were not on the right page, but he said, I can live with that because I know Keenan. I know how that works. He said, I, I, I completed a ball to Virgil. That was routine. Like it was a 10, 10 yard reception. He's a, and that was a breakthrough because I hadn't had Virgil. You know, so we'll see what happens. But I, I was in Denver a couple of years ago when, when Virgil was slated to be their, their go-to tight end. He got hurt, um, and he was having a really good preseason, and that's what he was doing at Nevada too, Money. I mean, he can catch the ball. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how he's using the red zone. Yeah, and I think a lot of that will probably determine whether or not there's another move made, you know, and yep. not, not to put a, an ex- expiration date on this podcast, but, you know, I don't, I don't think any of us would be surprised if, if that call is made and Antonio Gates walks through that door. Yep. Um, but I think a lot of that's going to come down to the conversation with Philip and can, can Virgil fill those routes that you had with Gates? And if he can, then we're good because he can block and you can play maybe Mike in that Hunter Henry sort of spot and have him run the seam. Uh, he's certainly got a big enough body to ward off those linebackers and, and operate in that portion of the field. So I guess what I'm saying is I won't be surprised either way. If, if Gates comes back, we won't be surprised at all. If he doesn't, it just means that Phillip's comfortable with Virgil. How do you see this helmet rule? I think from week two to week three, we saw the penalties go down a lot. But just this rule in general, now that it's out there, how much do you think that benefits in offense, especially when we got Keenan running crossing routes and all the stuff that Phillip can do. He's so savvy. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see a, a spike in points this year in the NFL and if the Chargers can be beneficiaries. Yeah, um, I think it works. I think it works both ways, um, you know, because Melvin is a runner who, if you watch him, he drops that head almost true. every time because he is big and he is physical. Ways. So that's the thing. I mean, if they're going to call it both ways, uh, I think, you know, Melvin's probably going to have to change the way he runs because when you're bigger than everybody else, you know, when you're not that smaller back, I mean, Melvin's, I'd say probably in terms of, you know, physical stature, he's probably top five for running backs in the NFL. He is bigger than most guys. He's yeah. thicker than most guys and he uses it. So, I think that's the one concern I'd have. Yeah, it's going to benefit guys like Keenan running those crossers, but if they're throwing it both ways, you know, Melvin's probably going to drastically have to change the way he finishes his run. And he's not necessarily that breakaway speed guy. He's someone who's going to lower it and, and push you back a couple, two, three yards to get that extra, that extra yardage. First two weeks, we probably see the two strongest armed quarterbacks in the league. If Josh Allen goes, and I mean, based on what we saw against the Cincinnati Bengals, I don't know if they're ready to, to, yeah. to trot him out Although, there I don't know if they're going to put Nate Peterman back well, out there against the Chargers. It's pick so, your poison, right? Yeah. But, uh, but with Pat Mahomes, week one, I remember last year what Andy Reid did in New England, how he schemed up Bill Belichick's defense, and, and Belichick didn't even know it was coming. I think the only difference here is you got uh, a guy in his second career start versus Alex Smith. But one of the things that intrigues me is that free safety position for the Chargers. Are they going to trust Irwin out there as a rookie in week one? Uh, Jaleel's had experience doing it. Uh, how do you see that shaking out as we approach Chiefs week and really not knowing what Andy Reid's going to do? Uh, I think... You know, it'll it'll be a Gus Bradley versus Andy Reid, you know, chess match. Yeah. And, you know, 
I think you're going to see from Derwin. It'll be Derwin, fluid throughout yeah, the game. Exactly. I think you'll see from Derwin what we've seen all preseason, and that's he'll be in the box. He'll be high, and Adai will be high. Rayshon will be high. You know, it seemed like, and I know it's it, there's no way that it's an accurate statement, and I'm embellishing a little bit, but it just seemed like they were in dime. I mean, they had six defensive backs out there. It felt like more than anything else. So with the depth in that position group, I think that's how he works it. You know, I think he's in Gus. We've seen he's comfortable rushing just four, and you can be when you've got Ingram and Bosa out there. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's probably what you'll see, and you're going to try to disguise and trick a quarterback. You know, it shouldn't say trick, but confuse a quarterback who's in his second career start. And I think when you talk about Mahomes, you know, attributes, positive attributes, what is it? It's arm strength, it's escapability, and if you can keep them contained because you got those two edge rushers, I think that I would say advantage Chargers yeah. there. But again, it's really hard to discount the impact Andy Reid can have. I mean, he's done it every year with a variety of quarterbacks. He's just quite simply one of the brightest offensive minds the league has ever known. And it won't surprise me if he's got an adjustment to every single thing that you're going to throw at him through that game. Plus the the improvisation skills of a Pat Mahomes, like yeah. you said, make, making something out of nothing. I think that's what you fear when you got a guy like Tyreek Hill streaking down the sidelines or Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins. So that'll be interesting. But to your point, Money, you mentioned this at the top, the, these three rookies that are going to play a lot a lot of positionless guys you know we got a guy like Kaiser White who played safety yep. at West Virginia Uchenna Nwosu is going to be counted on to, to rush the pass or play that auto position and then Derwin I mean he's had a lot of praise thrown his way over the last couple of weeks I think for good reason because he's a guy probably the closest thing to a, like a Sean Taylor type that we've seen in this league it's uh yeah I mean you hate to do that before he even plays you, a game you don't want and to I know do that. and I know you don't I know what you're saying though it's the old queen on the chessboard yep. you know that can play from the, the the line rushing the passer to deeper than your deepest and figure out that angle and how to bait Mahomes into thinking he's got Tyree kill and there's Derwin to snatch it away yes I have complete you know faith that as he settles into his NFL career he's gonna be in that conversation as you know one of the best safeties in the league if what we you know project comes to fruition and it doesn't always happen but he's certainly got the tools um he's got the football mind uh he's got the leadership skills you know it, it's all there and yeah. we just got to see it in practice you know I'm, I'm not gonna lie the chiefs do make you know i think charger fans a little nervous because they've just done they it for four years in a row you know they've swept they them four years in a row and Kareem Hunt's still there, and he wrecked him. And like you said, Corey Legit's out for that first game against the Chiefs. That's a, an offensive line that is static, that comes back intact. Is it a great O-line? Eh. But it's a pretty darn good offensive line. When you're, when you're line. cohesive, that, you know, that five makes fingers on a glove, and yeah. and that's what they are. And and it's hard to to undervalue that. So it's going to be a challenge, even with you know a guy making just his second career start at quarterback. Finally, money. How much do you think? This week one game, they all count the same. All 16 count the same. But this one has a little bit of extra juice because you haven't beaten them in eight straight times. It's an AFC West opponent. The way you closed the year at StubHub, you won five straight. You won nine of 12. And let's be honest, that 0-4 start, you still think about that. You got four of your first five in L.A. How important is September 9th? Uh, of the utmost importance. I could not agree with you more. I know you're, you're kind of couching it where I have to answer it, and I'm not just agreeing with you. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they not only – look, a win's a win, right? You'll take sure. it any way you can get it. 
But if if the you know what some of the prognosticators, the you know the talking heads are saying that this is a team that could have that should have Super Bowl aspirations based on its talent on paper, you'd like to see them go out there and make life miserable for Pat Mahomes. And you'd like to see them go out there and attack a defense that lost Marcus Peters, that's aging on their defensive front and looks like there are some cracks there, you know, at what's in what once was in the conversation is the best defense in the division. I mean, they were up there, you know, whether you like it or not, when they were fully healthy and Tamba Ali and Justin Houston were doing what they were doing and Eric Berry was healthy in the backfield and Derek Marcus Johnson. Peters, Derek Johnson. I mean, you know, and so many, so much of that is gone. Peters gone, Johnson gone, you know, Barry's still kind of trying to come back. You got to take advantage of that. And, you know, it doesn't get easier. You know, granted, you get the Bills who are appear to be in a re- rebuild, but you got to fly all the way to the East Coast. You got to, you know, that's not easy. We know that because we did it all last year. And then you get the Rams in week three. I mean, it's a tough start to the season. It so is. You, you would like to set that tone, uh, obviously, with a win, but I think with a, a win that is a reminder hey, we know you had our number for the last four years, but. There's the, uh, the the tide is changing. The tide has shifted yeah. in the AFC West, and we're here to go grab it. You know, and I say that too, knowing that like, hey, if they started zero and one, guess what? You got fifteen more. You have a great opportunity to to still win this division and, yeah. and get in the playoffs. But it just seems like this one's got extra juice and for good reason. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it's a like you said division game and the slow starts have plagued this team for years now, and you would like to see them. Like you said, Bill, even though, you know, the next game, the last game from 2017 does not carry over to 2018. But you'd have to say if they lost a game at home to the Chiefs, their ninth in a row, you could understand that it might have a lasting effect yeah. on yeah. this squad. You and DJ having fun? Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Uh, he's I just try to stay out of his way. He's got so much information in that brain of his that I'm trying to make my calls short so the listeners can can get a good, healthy dose of DJ because um, he's the star. He really is. It's been a pleasure to listen to money. We can't wait for week one, man. Anytime, Chris. The Chargers new home L.A. Stadium at Hollywood Park is taking shape and fans. This is your chance to get in on the action that starts in 2020. The stadium experience, indoor, outdoor design and world class amenities are all groundbreaking, along with the see through roof and 70,000 square foot dual sided video board. The new L.A. Stadium speaks to what it means to be an Angelino and your Los Angeles Chargers want you to be part of it all. Visit FightForLA.com. That's FightForLA.com today for more information. All right, welcome back to Chargers Weekly. Joining me on the line now, longtime NFL writer and analyst Doug Farrar. He's the author of a new book entitled The Genius of Desperation. It's set to be released on September 25th. Doug, really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Doug, let's start with the book because if you're a football junkie, this is a must-have. I mean, I started this on the plane Thursday night after the Chargers preseason finale. Tell us about this project and how it came to be. Well, there, I mean, it's a, what it is, it's a chronological schematic history of professional football. And the, the sort of story arc that goes over the whole thing is the idea that no innovation in pro football history came about through anything other than desperation, i.e. a coach or a player or an overall team found itself outnumbered and outmanned through dent of, you know, expansion or player attrition or whatever. And throughout the history of the NFL, uh, those innovations have come about because teams needed to think outside the box and sort of above the fray 
Um, and there are all kinds of examples. I mean, you look back at the Wildcat in 2008, where the Miami Dolphins were coming back on a plane. <laughs> Here's a plane story for you since you just got off one a few <laughs> hours ago. Um, they were coming back from Arizona. Uh, the Cardinals had just beaten them badly, and they were 0-2 coming off a 1-15 season. And David Lee, who was their quarterback's coach, had run the Wildcat at Arkansas the year before with Felix Jones and Darren McFadden. And Tony Sperano, who, of course, recently passed away, um, was the head coach. And he went up to David Lee on the plane and said, tell me more about this Wildcat package. And Dan Henning, who was also on Miami staff, had run it a little bit with Carolina the year before. So in one week, and in week three, they were playing the Patriots, who were coming off their nearly undefeated season, uh, still in 11 and five without Tom Brady. So they were pretty good. Yeah. And in one, in one week they put together the Steeler power and counterplays that completely confused the most disciplined defense in the NFL. And the wildcat worked for a while. Um, it was eventually figured out, but you know, and, and probably the most famous example is Greg cook, the quarterback for the Bengals, uh, taken in the 1969 AFL draft, uh, had a shoulder injury early on, could have been one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And the Bengals offensive coordinator had to come up with a short passing game for his backup, Virgil Carter. The offensive coordinator's name, of course, was Bill Walsh. And Bill Walsh, because he didn't have the quarterback he wanted, didn't go with the Sid Gilman, you know, three-digit vertical downfield stuff. He came up with the West Coast offense out of desperation. So the whole the the overarching concept of the book is, you know, with the title, the genius of desperation is here are the innovations and here are the stories behind them and the character studies of the people that implemented them and, and made them work. It's an incredible read and so much information goes into that book and that intro that details the wildcat, I, I think as a football fan, I think everybody knew or can remember where they were when, when Ronnie Brown was running the wildcat and had like four touchdowns against the Patriots. It, it was just an unbelievable sight. But Doug, how long did this project take? Because I have to imagine, I mean, you're, you're going through the entire history of pro football. Uh, from inception to publication took about three years. It wow. took, um, I actually came up with the idea about five years ago and I thought, well, at first, I'm thinking, well, maybe someone else should write this. I'm not sure if I'm up to it because it's a huge concept. And there are, of course, other great scheme books. Um, you know, The Games That Changed the Game by Greg Cosell and Ron Jaworski, Take Your Eye Off the Ball by Pat Kerwin, the Chris Brown Smart Football books. Um, but I, didn't, I hadn't seen a chronological history that sort of tied everything together. And eventually I just I thought, okay, to heck with it. I'm going to start writing. And I filled in the parts I knew best first and did a lot of research, uh, bought over 100 books uh, in the research process. And so it, really the writing of it took about two years, and then um, Triumph Books had asked me to do a blurb on their Dr. Z book a couple months before I was you know, ready to do a proposal. So I pitched it to them last year, and they said yes, and I'm you know, we're, we're off and running. And it'll, it's uh, available in a lot of bookstores now, and Amazon has the Kindle coming out on September 25th. It's incredible. I, I can't recommend it enough. And I told you offline, I, I grew up on those 80s Redskins, and, of course, Joe Gibbs comes from that Coriel 
Chargers coaching tree, and I went straight to the the genius in the Hogs chapter, where where you uh, you detail the counter tray and everything that Coach Gibbs was able to do. But Doug, I, I want to dive into the the 2018 regular season. Get current here. What were your general thoughts about what you saw during this preseason? Now that it's a wrap and we start week one here next week. You know, the first thing I think is this is such a cruel time because they're going all the way down. Front. They're, they're not doing the gradual cuts anymore. Yeah. And it's such a hard time for, you know, the players, for the GMs, for everybody. They've got to, you know, roll these kids in sort of on a conga line and tell them, well, basically, at least with us, your dream is kind of over, um, which is frustrating. Um, you know, and I, I, it, it's interesting. You know, of course, the Browns have been prominent through the hard knocks thing. And it's always interesting to me to watch some teams play completely vanilla and other teams are scheming like crazy, you know, running blitzes and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, so preseason, to me, it, it's never as much about scheme as it is about, you know, particular talent showing up and you think to yourself, oh, this guy could be something. Um, and, you know, what, what, it's always it's always interesting to see how that goes. You bring up a great point about this this cut down because you go from, go from 90 to 53. So 37 guys will get released this weekend. And it makes for 24 hours of chaos around the league, maybe 48 hours of chaos around the league because – there's so many guys being released that you may want on your football team that, that may fit what you do. And I think it's fascinating in, in one sense, but at the same time, you know, it, it's a it's a tough weekend for guys who have grinded all off season uh, to have their, their dreams kind of end. But at, at the same time, GMs, I don't envy their job this weekend. No, not at all. And they'll be, you know, <laughs> there's no Labor Day holiday for these fellas. That, that's not no. going to happen. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting time. Uh, I, I, you know, looking at players, um, I think Baker Mayfield probably impressed me the most um, from the quarterback position, specifically his poise in the pocket and his ability to, you know, and Philip Rivers, of course, is, has been so great at this for such a long time that composition in the pocket. He knows he's going to get his block knocked off and he doesn't care. He makes the throw anyway. Phillip is one of the best at, at that of all time. Yeah. And with Mayfield, you never know in a quick strike, you know, three to five step drop offense. Can he handle having far more complicated coverages to deal with? I thought he availed himself very well. I'm looking at Josh Rosen and I'm thinking, you know, I thought this guy was the most developed quarterback coming out of the draft this year, but one tends to wonder if his offensive line will, uh, will allow him to do anything. So, Absolutely. You know, you, you gotta have the, you gotta have the horses in front of you to, to make it all work. And to your point, Baker has looked strong in really all four preseason games. And just, I think this quarterback rookie class in general, where you look at what Darnold's able to do and him being named the mm-hmm. starter, very promising group um, and, and kind of the juxtaposition of guys like Phillip, Big Ben, Eli, Brady, Breeze, these guys who are have been dominating this league so long. I think it's it's kind of a cool dynamic to have this, this old school versus new school battle here in the NFL. Well, you also have middle school. You have Luck, yeah, you exactly. have RG3 trying to make a comeback. Luck is making his comeback. Russell Wilson... Um, you know, taking 75th overall might have the most enviable situation right now, just from a health perspective. 
so yeah, you have the, the, the class of the mid two thousands and the early 2000, early 2010s. And now here come the new kids. I think Darnold surprised me most of all. When I watched his USC tape, um, I, I saw a guy who could really throw from a lot of launch points when his lower body was sorted out. And obviously the Jets coaching staff did a good job of helping him work with his mechanics because he looks not like a different guy, but more throws look like the ideal version of Sam Donald than I had seen before. And of course, I mean, the, the best story to me of this preseason has been Teddy Bridgewater. Oh yeah. No question. <laughs> guy comes in after almost losing his leg two years ago. Um, could have been the starter with the Jets. Now he goes to New Orleans and, you know, not too many people better to work with than Sean Payton when you're a quarterback. I wanted, I did want to turn the tables and ask you a question about Nick Shimanek. How's that guy looking? Because I did a tape piece with him in the right before the draft and I was really impressed with him. I thought he was an underrated guy. Yeah, you know, when he was, when he was signed by the Chargers after the draft, I had a chance to talk to Cliff Kingsbury uh, about him probably like a week after he yep. was drafted and he used I think the word fearless to describe Shimanek yep. and it, it just it, it makes sense to have a guy like Philip Rivers in that quarterback room w- with a guy who who has that fearless mentality I like Nick Shimanek when when you look at the the quarterback room with the Chargers you know you got Cardale Jones and Geno Smith I think one of those guys is going to win the job but that doesn't mean to say Nick can't get on a roster you know, it's that that air raid offense. It's always fascinating, especially when you see a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Now, Shimanek may not have that talent, obviously, of, of a Pat Mahomes, but just coming from that same system, uh, you wonder if he could further develop in this league. But I, I just think it's so early, Doug. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, one year as a starter at Texas Tech, I think he does have his work cut out for him as far as learning. And it's not so much in with with quarterbacks coming out of air raid systems and you know spread systems to use that generic term. I don't think it's so much the the transition offensively because most NFL teams are using air raid concepts and run and shoot concepts and spread concepts and all that. Sure. When you're running an offense that can throw a 50 burger on any team you face and you're doing hurry up and the defense doesn't have time to adjust, you know, it's like quarters coverage, play after play after play. You're not getting quarter, quarter, half. You're not getting man zone splits. You're not getting cross dog blitzes. And I think for a lot of these young quarterbacks, it's not so much, oh gosh, I have to do a you know a pro style offense transition. It's what the heck am I seeing on defense? Yes. And I think that's that's going back to Mayfield. What's impressed me so much about him is that I've seen him diagnose things. You know, in the Lions game, there was one play where they were trying to disguise cover two, and they had one of the safeties in kind of a lurk position like he was going to come across and then he moved back into straight cover two and Mayfield saw it and he diagnosed it and he threw the underneath route. And I'm like, okay, yeah, he gets it. it. You know, Doug, the AFC West is a division that I think last year at this time, many were just giving to the Raiders after that 12 and four year didn't work out that way. Obviously the parody in this league makes it just so fun every September Who's winning the AFC West in 2018? I, I think it's a wide-open division, um, and, I, and I point to the Chargers as just, you know, they were the kind of that model of consistency and, and continuity this offseason when you talk about bringing back all of your coaches and then having a majority of your offense and defense intact while adding guys like Mike Pouncey and then Derwin James in the draft. Yeah. 
Well, Derwin James is a special player, and he's only going to get better. And I, you know, obviously you saw that this preseason with some splash players. Um, you know, with the Verrett injury, is a it's a blow. Um, I basically last year I thought AJ Bouye of the Jaguars was the best cover cornerback in the NFL. I thought Casey Hayward was second, and it, it was like one A and one B. Um, I think the secondary has the potential to be one of the two or three best in the NFL. Um, I think you guys are pretty set at edge rusher. Yeah. Yeah. You got a couple of guys who can you know, get sacks and things like that. <laughs> they're pretty Bosa good. And Ingram. They're, as a matter of fact, Doug, bad. as a matter of fact, we saw another guy, Chris Landrum, have two yes. sacks and a forced fumble on Thursday night against the, the Niners. Isaac Rochelle from Notre Dame, seventh round pick last year. Uh, he's had a very impressive camp. And then Chenna Nuosu, you get in the second round to play linebacker, but, you know, coming off the edge on third down, he had a pretty punishing sack himself. So I think they're set at edge rusher. Yeah, they're okay. Um, yeah, I, I, hopefully, I know Forrest Lamp is kind of coming back from the ACL. Would love to see him at full strength because I thought he was um, the best offensive lineman in his draft class. Uh, certainly the offense is rolling with Phillip. A very, very deep receiver group. Um, I don't think I, I don't know if there's a quote unquote dominant team like a 14 win team in the AFC West, but I, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I have done season predictions already and I have the Chargers winning the West in pretty much everything I've done. The Chiefs have been running this division for the last two years and uh, we've talked about it. You know, I, I spoke with Phil Rivers for our backstage podcast that we'll release next week. Um, had a chance to talk to him at the team hotel yesterday. And, you know, this game week one against the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes coming to town, it's got a little extra juice to it because you haven't beaten the Chiefs eight straight times. Uh, you win your last five at StubHub Center, and this is a golden opportunity to to get after the Chiefs in week one and, and really, I think, just mentally get yourself in a space that you have a chance to win this AFC West right off the top. Well, as someone who uh, works with the Chargers, you know the, that, what the difference a number one cornerback can make on your defense. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you came into the preseason, uh, you know, thinking you'd have two, of course, and it's because, it's, gosh, Red is so talented to stay healthy. Um, so they, they let Marcus Peters go, and they get Kendall Fuller in the – the, the Alex Smith trade and Kendall Fuller is the best slot cornerback in the NFL in my opinion. Yeah, he was great. He was he's great not last an year. outside guy. He's not an outside guy. And Marcus Peters is a boom or bust player to put it kindly and mildly, but he he takes away your ex ISO receiver. He tends to erase your number one guy. If you watch the Chiefs in the preseason, and I'm sure you did you saw that they're letting number ones and number two receivers just float in free space, and it's ugly. Mm. And, you know, you know, people are like, well, you know, we have vanilla schemes in the preseason. Yes, I get that. Um, and the Chiefs are a schematically diverse team, but Bob Sutton, their defensive coordinator, he's really going to have to scheme it up to just make up for their, their personnel issues. Um, they, they don't have a number one cornerback. And in today's NFL, if you don't have a number one cornerback, you have a major problem. Um, now they have a great slot corner. Good for them. 
But I would imagine when, when Phillip's watching that preseason tape, his eyes are going to light up. And uh, he's kind of an alpha anyway, so he might have a few things to say about that. Oh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. And, and his number one receiver is Keenan Allen, a guy who, hard to believe, is only 26 years old. And we saw what he was able to do for a full 16 games when healthy. You add Mike mm-hmm. Williams to the mix, and there's been a lot of buzz about yes. Mike Williams during training camp, Doug. He he seemed to have made an, an eye-catching uh, play every day in Costa Mesa here at training camp. And I know Hunter Henry is not with us this season, and that's a, that's a huge blow. But at the same time, you mentioned that position of strength at wide receiver. You didn't even mention Tyrell Williams and then Travis Benjamin. Yeah, Williams and Benjamin, two underrated guys. Um, I think with Keenan Allen, there are certain receivers who are faster on the field than they ever are on a track. And, and Allen is that he's such a good route runner. He's so precise with what he's doing. Um, it allows him, and I'm not comparing him to Jerry Rice, but Jerry Rice was like that too. He ran a four, six he was on the field. He ran a four, three because he understood angles so well. Mm-hmm. And with Allen, you watch him and I'm, I'm sure Philip appreciates this to have a receiver who knows how to sink into zones, who can run option routes perfectly. You can tell the work he puts into it. And with Henry gone, maybe they run more, you know, four receiver sets. Maybe they get the running backs more involved in the passing game. But I think, you know, that's going to be a definite strength. And when you look at the three T the three defenses, they'll be facing in that division. Uh, Denver's run defense is a major issue. Obviously, their secondary is great uh, with Chris Harris, but they also lost to Keeb Tlaib, you know. And with Oakland, I mean, you don't know how long the Khalil Mack holdout's going to last, and he might not be there anyway, and they've got all kinds of problems. So certainly divisionally, I would look for the the Chargers to have uh, quite a nice run offensively for sure. Doug, get you out of here on this. What are you most looking forward to uh, in week one? I mean, there's so many great storylines. doesn't have to be an AFC West storyline. Really, there's so many great matchups and, and so much intrigue when we talk about you know, anything from Kirk Cousins going to Minnesota to uh, the opener, Philly, Atlanta. What are you going to have your eye on in week one? Um, well, to look at Atlanta, I want to see – I thought – because Kyle Shanahan did such a brilliant job with the Falcons just schematically in 2016. That's no surprise. Um, and I thought with Steve Sarkeesian, they took a few steps back as far as helping Matt Ryan get open reads. Um, what I saw in the preseason, I thought Sarkeesian was really scheming it up, really doing some smart things with crossers and option routes and just getting guys open. And then with Philly, you know, you lose – uh, John Filippo to the Vikings. You lose Frank Wright to the Colts. Doug Peterson is obviously a very gifted coach, but I know in talking to all three of those coaches during Super Bowl week, that was a group effort. And it was, you know, such an exciting offense to watch. You know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I think just in general, it, and it's, you know, going back to the book for a second, like the Wildcat, that lasted about half a year until the Baltimore Ravens figured it out. Sure. I want to see what, ha- I, I really want to see what happens with the RPO this year. Uh, first of all, I'd like an- announcers to be able to differentiate between an RPO and a zone read, but that'll take time. Um, <laughs> it took announcers like five years to not call a wildcat a zone read. So, <laughs> you know, it, it takes the time it takes, but you know, watching, uh, 
just different teams, how they might run it, how they might use it. Uh, certainly the Chicago Bears with Matt Nagy. Um, the Chiefs offense, as multiple as it was last year and as effective as it was last year, and, and I, I know you know a lot about that. Nagy was the guy who had a lot to do with that. Uh, want to see Mitchell Trubisky's development in Chicago to be sure because I think he's got all the physical potential. And Patrick Mahomes, you know, this guy is, I've watched tape with Patrick. He's a guy who, and there was this one game against Texas where he threw, I think one pass was intercepted, but five passes could have been. He was just throwing deep shots. And I'm like, Mm. well, are you going to, you know, kind of come down on that in the NFL? And he said, yes, but this is the way I play. He is a gunslinger in the truest sense. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes as opposed to Alex Smith, who has regulated his style and has been so consistent. You look at his stats year to year to year, you know exactly what you're going to get. As far as Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, um, I think when he was facing the Jaguars, number one defense and the Seahawks, number one defense, I think you saw some real struggles. And I think with Cousins, this is a guy who needs open reads. And it, it has to be kind of an open first and second read. As long as he has that, he's okay. Um, I don't know if he's a guy who can carry a team on his shoulders in a Brady Breeze sense. I, I don't know if he'll ever be that guy. You know, it's a great defense. It's an integrated offense. That offensive line has been hit by injuries. Um, yeah, those are some of the storylines. And sort of, I'm, a, I'm up here in Seattle. So watching the Seahawks, uh, where they've kind of gutted all their stars, except for Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin. Yeah. And this is now Pete Carroll's second rebuild. Because when he came in in 2010, he didn't really have a lot of talent to deal with. And he and John Schneider, the general manager, built that up. And now they have to do it all over again. Well, the Chargers are going to be in Seattle, I want to say middle of the year. Maybe it's week eight, week nine. Uh, so we'll be up there to see in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Quick yeah. follow-up to Mahomes. Doug, because I'd hate to not ask you this. Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, that chess match between Andy Reid and Gus Bradley week one, knowing what you know about Mahomes, how do you attack this guy in his second career start? I think if you – I think certain quarterbacks are better when you pressure them from the side. (laughs) Tom Brady has always been – if you pressure him from the side, he will just light you up. Roethlisberger is this way as well. Certain quarterbacks are not as effective when you pressure them right up in their face. If you stunt inside, you bring them pressure right in, you close down their launch points and their viewing windows, I think Mahomes might be that kind of guy too. I think if you, if you blitz him up front, if you make him question his reads, I think that's one way to do it. I think disguised coverages will help. He, Patrick's a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He, and he had that year to kind of look at coverages and figure things out. I think he diagnoses things well. I also, I mean, I, I know Gus from his time in Seattle. Um, and people say, oh, he's a cover one, cover three guy. Yeah, but there are little myriad things that he throws in. There might be a lurk defender. There might be a little buzz thing. Maybe he has a nickel corner doing something weird, <laughs> sort of weighting it down. Yeah. So, I, you know, and that's another thing. Mahomes is for all his deep throws, he likes to be able to see things early in the down and run around and sort of process things on the fly. If you make adjustments late in the down to any young quarterback, 
i.e., like in the first second of the play or the first second and a half of the play, you show them one thing and then you turn around and disguise, you know, that was a disguise for something else. His head starts to explode. And that's true of most every young quarterback I've ever seen, not named Andrew Luck. So I think you, you pressure him up front. You force him to move outside the pocket when he doesn't want to. And I think you show him things he doesn't expect. And that's how you hold him in. And then if he's behind, you just wait for the deep shot because he will take it. And he might take it with three guys in coverage. Doug, this was awesome, man. It was a fascinating conversation. New book, The Genius of Desperation. You can get it paperback now, September 25th. Pre-order it on Amazon. Doug, see you in Seattle, middle of the year. And I uh, can't thank you enough for your time today, man. Really appreciate it. Well, uh, yeah, let's circle back on that and definitely meet. And it was my pleasure, too. And thanks so much for having me. And that'll do it. A big thanks to Doug and Money for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please leave a review. Help spread the word. We'll be back next Thursday with a jam-packed episode to get you fully prepared for Chiefs Week. Have a great weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Harry.